Welcome to Idlewild Cottage, a quiet place where kindred spirits can linger together over a cup of tea, savoring all things lovely and cozy. My name is Juliana, and I'm delighted to have you. Each episode here at the cottage will center around a theme. That theme will be celebrated in a number of ways, through literature, art, nature, and even some favorite movie scenes, we'll cherish the sweet and simple things of life. So make yourself at home, and I'll put the kettle on. Hello, kindred spirits, and welcome to episode 40 here at Idlewild Cottage. This marks the last episode in our autumn series. I'll be taking some time away from the cottage, going on holidays, so to speak, and plan to pick back up with winter content in the coming weeks. As we gather today in anticipation of Thanksgiving, I'd like to center our thoughts on gratitude. Specifically, we'll step into four literary scenes in which some element of sacrifice, gratitude, or generosity breaks the barriers of pride, softens hearts, and cultivates lasting friendships. This spirit is first displayed in the book Heidi. We'll look at a few excerpts from chapter 4, but first, some context. Peter the goatherd lives with his mother, Bridget, and his blind grandmother. He is often away at school or tending to the goats, and so Heidi is very eager to visit and bring cheer to the lonely old woman. Heidi's selfless devotion to the family not only blesses the grandmother, but it also paves the way for her grandfather to increasingly think beyond his own needs. In this scene, Heidi meets the grandmother for the first time. Heidi opened the door and entered a small, dark room. In the corner was sitting a bent little old woman, spinning. Heidi knew at once what to do and went directly to the spinning wheel and said, Good day, grandmother. I have come to see you at last. The grandmother raised her head and searched for the hand which was stretched out to her, and when she found it, she felt it for a while thoughtfully, and then said, Are you the little child who lives up there with the alm, uncle? Are you Heidi? Yes, I have just come down with my grandfather in a sled. For the next few hours, Heidi gives the most welcome of gifts, time, presence, and lively conversation to the lonely woman. Of course, that time passes all too quickly, and soon Heidi must leave. As the sled pulls away, the grandmother reflects. What a good heart she has! How amusingly she can talk! If she will only come again! I have something left in this world now that will make me happy! Back at their hut, Heidi is already making plans for her next visit, a visit which must include her grandfather, as he is just the handyman to help with the much-needed repairs Heidi has just observed at Peter's. Grandpa, tomorrow we must take the big hammer and the large nails to fasten the shutters at the grandmother's, for everything creaks and shakes in the house. We must? We must? Who told you so? No one told me that. I knew it, replied Heidi, for nothing holds together there, and the grandmother is in constant fear and unable to sleep. 
She thinks now all will fall down on our heads. Think how sad it is to be always in the dark, and, in addition to it, in fear and anxiety. No one can help her but you. Heidi clung to the grandfather and looked at him with confidence. The old man, looking at the little child for a while, said, Yes, Heidi, we will do that. Tomorrow we will do it. We pick up the next day with the grandmother's great surprise. Can it be possible? Is such a thing possible? Did you hear that, Bridget? Surely it's a hammer. Well, with Heidi, we very quickly find that many things are possible. The winter passes quite pleasantly in this way. Heidi's visits continue, as do the grandfather's steady repairs. A time of joy had come in the cheerless life of the blind grandmother. Her days were no more long, dark, and monotonous, for now she had something joyful to look forward to. From early morning, she began to watch for the tripping footsteps, and when the door opened and the child ran in, jumping, the old woman would call out, God be praised, there she comes again. The grandfather had continued, and each time he took his hammer and all sorts of tools on the sled and spent the afternoon repairing Goat Herd Peter's little house. And the grandmother said she had not been able to sleep so well for many a long winter, and she could never forget the kindness of the Alm Uncle. Another sweet friendship formed between a young girl and the family neighbor is the one most contributed by you kindred spirits in a recent Instagram conversation. It is that shared between Beth March and Mr. Lawrence. In the first part of this memorable chapter of Little Women, Mr. Lawrence pays the March family a visit and artfully leads the conversation to music in the hopes of winning over shy Beth. The piano suffers for want of use. Wouldn't some of your girls like to run over and practice on it now and then, ma'am? Beth took a step forward and pressed her hands tightly together to keep from clapping them, for this was an irresistible temptation. Before Mrs. March could reply, Mr. Lawrence went on with an odd little nod and smile. They needn't see or speak to anyone, but run in at any time for I'm shut in my study, Laurie is out a great deal, and the servants are never near the drawing-room after nine o'clock. Here he rose as if going, and Beth made up her mind to speak. Please tell the young ladies what I say, and if they don't care to come, why, never mind. Here a little hand slipped into his, and Beth looked up at him with a face full of gratitude as she said in her earnest yet timid way, Oh, sir, they do care very, very much. Are you the musical girl? he asked, as he looked down at her very kindly. I'm Beth. I love it dearly, and I'll come, if you are quite sure nobody will hear me and be disturbed, she added, fearing to be rude and trembling at her own boldness as she spoke. Not a soul, my dear. How kind you are, sir. Beth blushed like a rose and gave the hand a grateful squeeze because she had no words to thank him for the precious gift he had given her. 
Well, Beth indeed enjoys the piano and later expresses her gratitude by making a pair of slippers for Mr. Lawrence. He, in turn, gifts Beth with a piano of her own. The March girls are quite overwhelmed by his generosity, and Joe teases Beth. You'll have to go and thank him, for the idea of the child's really going never entered her head. Yes, I'll go now before I get frightened thinking about it. And to the utter amazement of the assembled family, Beth walked deliberately down the garden, through the hedge, and in at the Lawrence's door. If you will believe me, Beth went and knocked at the study door, and when a gruff voice called out, Come in! She did go in, right up to Mr. Lawrence, saying, I came to thank you, sir, for... But she didn't finish, for he looked so friendly that she forgot her speech, and only remembering that he had lost the little girl he loved, she put both arms round his neck and kissed him. The old gentleman was so touched by that confiding little kiss that all his crustiness vanished. Beth ceased to fear him from that moment, and sat there talking to him as cozily as if she had known him all her life, for love casts out fear, and gratitude can conquer pride. Pride is conquered early in Alcott's world, though it takes a bit longer for Austin's characters. Let's join Elizabeth Bennet and Mr. Darcy as they walk through the countryside, Lizzie gratefully reflecting on Darcy's generosity throughout her sister Lydia's indiscretion. Mr. Darcy, I can no longer help thanking you for your unexampled kindness to my poor sister. Ever since I have known it, I have been most anxious to acknowledge to you how gratefully I feel it. Were it known to the rest of my family, I should not have merely my own gratitude to express. I am sorry, exceedingly sorry, replied Darcy in a tone of surprise and emotion, that you have ever been informed of what may, in a mistaken light, have given you uneasiness. I did not think Mrs. Gardiner was so little to be trusted. You must not blame my aunt. Lydia's thoughtlessness first betrayed to me that you had been concerned in the matter, and, of course, I could not rest till I knew the particulars. Let me thank you again and again, in the name of all my family, for that generous compassion which induced you to take so much trouble and bear so many mortifications for the sake of discovering them. If you will thank me, he replied, let it be for yourself alone that the wish of giving happiness to you might add force to the other inducements which led me on, I shall not attempt to deny. But your family owe me nothing. Much as I respect them, I believe I thought only of you. Sacrifice and gratitude mark a defining moment in the lives of Anne Shirley and Gilbert Blythe in the closing pages of Anne of Green Gables. Anne has just given up a scholarship in order to stay at Green Gables with Marilla. At the same time, we learn of a sacrifice that Gilbert, too, has made. I'm going to take my arts course right here at Green Gables. Mrs. Lynde lifted her hands in holy horror. Anne, surely you'll kill yourself. Not a bit of it. I shall thrive on it. I'm going to teach over at Carmody, you know. 
I don't know it. I guess you're going to teach right here in Avonlea. The trustees have decided to give you the school. Mrs. Lynde, cried Anne, springing to her feet in her surprise. Why, I thought they promised it to Gilbert Blythe. So they did. But as soon as Gilbert heard that you had applied for it, he went to them and told them that he withdrew his application and suggested that they accept yours. He said he was going to teach at White Sands. Of course, he knew how much you wanted to stay with Marilla, and I must say I think it was real kind and thoughtful in him, that's what. Real self-sacrificing, too, for he'll have his board to pay at White Sands, and everybody knows he's got to earn his own way through college. I don't feel that I ought to take it, murmured Anne. I mean, I, I don't think I ought to let Gilbert make such a sacrifice for, for me. We later pick up when Anne has opportunity to express her gratitude and mend what has for years been broken between them. Halfway down the hill, a tall lad came whistling out of a gate before the Blythe homestead. It was Gilbert, and the whistle died on his lips as he recognized Anne. He lifted his cap courteously, but he would have passed on in silence if Anne had not stopped and held out her hand. Gilbert, she said with scarlet cheeks, I want to thank you for giving up the school for me. It was very good of you, and I want you to know that I appreciate it. Gilbert took the offered hand eagerly. It wasn't particularly good of me at all, Anne. I was pleased to be able to do you some small service. Are we going to be friends after this? Have you really forgiven me my old fault? Anne laughed and tried unsuccessfully to withdraw her hand. I forgave you that day by the pond landing, although I didn't know it. What a stubborn little goose I was. I've been sorry ever since. We were born to be good friends, Anne. You've thwarted destiny long enough. Come, I'm going to walk home with you. As Anne and Gilbert walk home, we'll turn our thoughts homeward too. I am indeed grateful for each of you kindred spirits who make Idlewild Cottage feel like a real home where we can cherish the sweet and simple things of life together. With this week's spirit of gratitude, generosity, and sacrifice, carry us into the holidays. And with the familiar strains of Psalm 100, wave like a festive banner over our homes this season. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. Thank you for joining me today, dear ones. Please come again soon to Idlewild Cottage. <laughs>